0: Hello, and welcome to the Spiritual School Bus. I'm Mandy Hecht. I'm an ordained minister with the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada, and I drive a school bus. In Baptist churches and on the bus, it seems like everyone wants to sit in the back. You, however, are invited to take a front row seat on the Spiritual School Bus. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1-20 through 20, and 2, 1-10. through 10. There was a certain man from Ramathane, a zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Azuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son— Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And now chapter 2. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. No one is a rock like our God. Do not keep talking proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him all deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, and she who had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He is brought down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. And he seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Alcana went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. May God bless the hearing and living of the word today. The following lyrics are from within one of the musicals growing in popularity in your day. Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. History is happening. My time, too, was a time when history was happening but I'm not so sure that I agreed that I felt lucky to be alive at that pivotal time. In fact, all my life I felt small and insignificant in the light of the history that was happening. What can one person do in the face of great evil to combat the encroaching darkness of a world, a society, a people who are supposed to be God's own people, but who are descending each and every day into further darkness?" Just when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, you look around and think things couldn't get any worse, then you pick up a newspaper, or you hear from your neighbor, or you witness something even darker. What do the actions of a single human being matter when our entire people are in a state of crisis? When I was a child and then a young woman, my people had no political leadership, and the religious leaders weren't much better. The priest that we knew best, Eli, We respected him, but his sons were scoundrels, the worst kind who preyed on people and treated the offerings we brought in faith and worship to the Lord with contempt. Those who were supposed to lead us were not trustworthy people. But what's worse, it wasn't just our leaders. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did whatever they wanted, no matter how self-serving or how cruel or how much it hurt someone else. Of course, there were good people, but we wondered in our heart of hearts even if we didn't dare speak it out loud if perhaps our people wouldn't survive this generation all of that was on the world stage but my own personal life wasn't going much better at the start of the story i say that it is hard not to feel small and insignificant on the grand stage of history but the truth is i felt small and insignificant every day of my life my husband elcana was a good man but i could not uh, but i could not do for him what i had been able Uh, what most women are expected to do i was unable to have children all the years i'd been married to him i was like a draft pick that couldn't perform the quintessential lost opportunity when Alcana died i was destined to become someone who would just be a drag on society it was shameful both in the eyes of my community of course but also in the eyes of my family and did i hear about it For my husband was a wealthy man, and I was not the only wife that he had taken into his home. And his other wife, Panina, she was able to do everything that I could not. She had not just one child, but an entire brood. And she rubbed that in my face. She would not usually insult me when Alcana was around. When he wasn't around, however, it felt like open season on Hannah whenever I was in her line of sight. But every meal that we shared was an exercise in just how much I could bear— How many backhanded jabs and innocent comments meant to wound like a hundred tiny paper cuts I could stand. And sometimes I could just couldn't take it anymore and I would snap back, but Alcana didn't like it when Panina and I would fight, and so he would give me a sharp look or even a verbal reprimand for being unkind, though it always seemed to me that he was deaf to the ways that her words were lacerating me. My home it was filled with Panina and all her children, and I felt discounted and insignificant. And it was only bearable because Alcana was the loving man that he was. He was the sun in my otherwise dreary sky, and he never looked down on me for my inability to be the kind of wife that Penina was to him, the kind of wife I was supposed to be. But he was oblivious to the pain that I was in, and he never shared it. After all, he had kids of his own, so it was only me who had not been blessed by the Lord. Alcana liked to whisper to me that he should be as good to me as ten sons, and he was certainly the one person I relied upon, the one person that could get me through the torment of each day and the disappointment of each month when Panina was in one phase or another of childbearing or childrearing and my own body remained as it always had, flat, empty, and barren. I loved Alcana, and I know that he loved me despite it all. In fact, from the outside, my life might have even looked pretty good. Alcana was wealthy enough to support two wives, No one in our household was in danger of starvation. We had everything we needed. And he was kind to me, even though I was not the kind of wife I felt I should be. He would never threaten to divorce me, a fate more than one woman in my situation I know had suffered. Maybe I sometimes thought I had no right to feel as if I did because maybe I didn't have it so bad after all. But when I lay in the darkness night after night, my thoughts would consume me. And in my deepest heart of hearts I ached, for a child I longed to hold in my arms, for the hurt of seeing someone else who got everything I wanted right before my very eyes, for the shame as she used this against me, and for the fact that as good as Alcanna was, he could not be everything, and he could not fix this for me. I couldn't really envision anything beyond the reality of my everyday existence. I thought I would always be just as I was then, small, Insignificant, worthless little Hannah. It was from this place, the place of the unstoppable ache and incurable pain, the desperation, the dissatisfaction with my seemingly okay, some might even say good life, that drove me to the temple shrine that night. We made the same trip every year, traveling to the shrine to offer our worship to God, and then we would have a celebration in honor of God, with all the best foods and lots to drink you might picture your own Thanksgiving celebrations and think about what it's like when you gather family around a meal and how that can be one of the best experiences, the kind that you look forward to all year, as well as one of the most difficult. And this one was difficult for me because for whatever reason, Penina was in her finest form and at her most hurtful. I don't know why, but this day her words cut deeper than usual, hitting me harder than they usually do, all of my usual defences failed. And so in the midst of the feast with so much going on, nobody else noticed as I sat there, food untouched on my plate, bitter tears traveling silently down my face. Finally, I managed to slip away to that holy place, and there the overflow of the bitter tears started, bringing with them all the misery and trouble and sorrow and pain and woe that I had been feeling, but had been pushed down so deep inside just so I could get through each day. I wept and I wept there in that sacred space. I voiced my misery and my disappointment and my bitterness toward God. I wasn't even sure if God could see me, insignificant as I was, if God remembered the name Hannah, since God seemed to pass me over every time good news came to our household. But in that moment of anguish, I asked God to remember me and to give me a gift so that even though I always felt barren and empty-handed, I might have something to give back to God, other than a bitter spirit and these hot tears. If that sounds a lot to you like a bargain, like the kind of prayer you pray when you are so desperate that you have nowhere else to turn, well, it was, but it was all I had. Usually I felt invisible, and some days when my rival would really get going, I would wish that I really was invisible, but that night, someone noticed me. It was the old priest, Eli. Only he mistook my passionate and painful prayer for having indulged too much at dinner, which felt pretty ironic since I couldn't have brought myself to consume even a morsel of food, let alone polish off enough wine to make me drunk. Embarrassed that he had seen me weeping as I was, I scrambled to assure him that I was not there because I was intoxicated, but that I needed a place to pour out my grief and anguish to God. And then he blessed me, adding his best wishes that I would get an answer to my troubled prayer. And when I left there, although nothing had changed, I felt lighter somehow. It might have been Eli, the priest, who did not ignore me, although he did misjudge me at first. And he certainly didn't diminish or dismiss my pain, but gave me a blessing. But rather, I think it was the fact that I was able to stop bottling up all those difficult emotions and let them pour out on the altar of the Lord. I brought myself, just as I was, and it was certainly not lovely or put together or confident or wrapped in a bow, but I brought my entire self, with all my pain and bitterness and all the hurt and ache and unanswered prayers, all of it, and I let God have every piece of it. I didn't hold back in the presence of the Lord, and I left that place in a different way than I had come in, even though I didn't have an inkling of what was going to happen next. But they say that the greatest societal earthquakes have their epicenters in the most unexpected of places, and that was to be the case in my life. Because tiny, insignificant little Hannah, who vacillated between feeling unseen and wishing no one would see her, well, God apparently had some plans for me. Because although I didn't know it when I walked out of there on that moonlit night with a straighter back and a lighter spirit, before the year was out, I would indeed have a child. God heard my anguished prayer, And it turned out that God had not forgotten about me. Indeed, God had bigger plans, a bigger future for me than I ever imagined even in my favorite and most hopeful daydreams. And when I got that son that I had hoped for and longed for and ached for, I had a choice. I had asked God to remember me. And when I held in my arms the answer to the prayer, the concrete proof that God does indeed see those who feel tiny and discounted, that God did indeed turn an ear toward people who suffer and hurt and are dismissed by everyone else, I had to decide what I was going to do with my answer to the prayer. I had asked God for something in the sanctuary that day, but I had also made a promise, a bargain of my own. Would I be bound by those words that I spoke in desperation? You know, my people had received something from God that had been promised to them. The result of years, centuries even, of prayer. I knew the stories. Many years ago, God called our ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, and promised to make them a great nation and to give them a land of their own. And that promise was a long time in coming true. The promise had taken us into the shadow of slavery in Egypt and involved God pulling us out of that place of suffering. And then it had taken 40 years of wandering before we crossed the threshold into our land of promise, and even our great leader Moses wasn't able to come with us. And then there were the years spent under Joshua moving into the land of that increasingly ancient promise. But once we were there, once we had indeed become a nation with our own land, once we could rest from the trouble and the travel that had defined us for so very long, the moment we sat in our own vineyards and under our own trees— the second we didn't have to depend upon God for food every morning and to guide our every step, the moment that life got good, that's the moment that we started to forget about God. Just as God had once warned us, saying, "'When the Lord your God brings you out of the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery.'" And yet we as a people did just that. And things had gotten so bad among us that everyone did whatever they wanted. And some of us wondered if we would even survive this generation. And so when this little blessing, my baby boy Samuel was placed in my arms, I could choose to do the same thing. I could take the blessing from God and forget to honor God in return. But I was determined not to do that. I've heard it said that courage is not the absence of fear but of being afraid and doing it anyway. I was frightened when I considered my future without my son, the person who would be my guarantee if my husband ever passed away. I was scared to give up this little miracle so soon after I'd finally got him, the one who had taken away the shame of being unable to have children. But I did it anyway. God gave me a gift and I gave it right back to God. I gave my son back to that priest who had blessed me, and offered his own best wishes that God would give me whatever I asked. I opened my hands and I let my Samuel go so that he could be of service to the Lord. And did he ever serve the Lord? I had the honor of watching little Samuel grow from a boy to a man, even if I did so mostly from afar. I lived for the week every year we would go visit him at the very place I had prayed for him to come into my life, taking him the clothing I had personally sewed for him. It was such a blessing to see him grow up, because from this tiny, insignificant little Hannah came the kind of shifting that would change our world in just the span of a couple generations. Samuel was trained under the eye of the kindly priest Eli, who had heard my prayer on that difficult night, and he grew up to replace the corrupt sons of Eli as a priest who would serve ably as a go-between between God and his people. And Samuel was so attuned to the will of God that he became like the judges of old, the kind of leaders that used to arise from time to time in our land and who would lead us to return to God, at least for a little while. But Samuel was also so good at listening for the voice of God that he led our little group of disparate tribes to become a united force under a king for the first time ever. Samuel found Saul, and then when Saul lost his way, Samuel once again heard from the Lord and was instrumental in ensuring that David took the throne. Now, even though I'm his mother and I'm probably quite biased, I think history speaks for itself, reflecting the fact that the baby that I had begged God for became one of the most influential spiritual and political leaders the people had ever seen. Even though I did not see the outsized influence that Samuel would have and only witnessed the foretaste of the way that God was at work, doing a new thing born out of the depravity and pain that was the world that we lived in, It was an ending to my story that I could never have predicted, that I never dreamed was possible in the dark days that I stood at the beginning. It seems that it becomes necessary for God to do a new thing in the world, and often. By the time that I lived, my people, who were God's people, needed a fresh start, a new beginning, a reform, more times than it ever seems possible. And yet God stuck with us through all the times when we were unfaithful and all the times we forgot the goodness of God, And all the times we became so full from our own privilege that we stopped hungering for justice. God kept on doing new things, and in my day he did yet another new thing. And he began this new thing through my Samuel. And as the story continues to spool from the days of my life, the truth is God continues to do new things, to work in new ways, to set about redeeming and rescuing and bringing justice and restoring peace and saving. And more often than not, God sets about doing those very things to the small and the insignificant and the discounted and the least and the lost and the the last, and the lonely and the nearly dead. God chooses the Abrahams with no land and the Sarahs with no children, the Moseses from the despised and enslaved people under a death sentence, the ladies of ill repute Rahab, the refugee Ruths, the youthful Marys, the tempestuous Peters, the murderous Pauls, and even the discounted Hannah's to work through to do those new things. From a backdrop of the deepest darkness and ever deepening rock bottom bottoms, from personal anguish that was rapidly hardening into bitterness, God opened up a future that was certainly more than I could ever imagine. If there's one thing I know from my experience with God, it is that there is no darkness so deep that God cannot see you, no sadness or ache too hard for God to hold no future too big for God to create. Even when you feel like things are ending, even when it feels like nothing will change, even when it feels like you're just one person or one small group of people swimming against a rising tide, even when you feel small and insignificant and question whether anything you even do matters, even when you carry around the ache of someone else's harsh treatment of you or of the ways that people dismiss your pain or your concerns, or the weight of unanswered prayers or dreams that just didn't come true, or a promising start that never went where you anticipated it would, even when all you have left inside you is bitterness and tears, even then, and honestly it seems from the wider biblical witness especially then, that's when God decides to do a new thing, and decides to do it using your anguished prayers, and water it with your desperate tears and place it in your arms so that you can open them up and give it right back to God. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we pray to a God who answers prayer. We are blessed and humbled that you hear us when we call to you in our times of deepest longing, and when you see and respond to people who sometimes feel small and insignificant. Receive our gratitude for your listening ear and the way that you see us and you remember us, and you bless us. Amen. This has been the Spiritual School Bus. Thank you for listening. For more Spiritual School Bus, visit www.pastormandy.com. This recording is copyright 2020 by Mandy Hecht, and may only be copied or redistributed by express written permission. Thank you, and have a blessed week. And now as you go, may the living God, the source of life, prompt in us new beginnings. May the ever-present God travel alongside us and guide us to walk in the way. May the ever-loving God surround us with care and help us to detect the presence of the Lord. In the name of Christ, go in peace.